This is the Seafair Investor Podcast, bringing you the tides of investing and personal finance from to millennial seafarers and alike. I'm your host, Soshin, a full-time seafarer, value investor, and a personal finance enthusiast. Welcome to episode 6. On today's podcast episode, we have another interview with a lovely guest. And this time, it's about women empowerment and personal finance. She was fun to talk to, and her energy was really great, (laughs) especially when sharing about her financial blog for women, and also how she managed from being negative zero net worth to where she is now. We also talk about how the Filipino culture of parents relying on their children to carry on the burden of family finances. Another one was about her blog on women's stereotypes, the misconceptions and such. And lastly, this episode is dedicated to all the women seafarers out there. You're all lovely and admirable, especially working in an industry mostly dominated by men. Now, without further ado, let's go to my conversation with Katie Scarlett. Katie Scarlett, welcome to the Seafair Investor Podcast. It's really great having you here in my show. Thank you so much for having me in your show. (laughs) Yes. Um, Can you share a bit about yourself first to the listeners? especially on the finance blog you've been doing for many years now, which is highly successful and influential on women in particular. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much for saying that it's influential and successful. I'm not really sure if those are true, but still, thank you for having that out in the universe. Um, Now, first, yes, I'm Katie Scarlett. That's obviously a pen name from Katie Scarlett O'Hara. In Gone with the Wind. So I think I would like to think of myself as like having her tenacity and courage, especially in getting herself out of poverty and then like having a much better life. Just disregard the drama of her <laughs> life. Anyway, so as I've said, I, as you said, I have a blog. It's called katiescarletneedsmoney.com. So I'm coming from the point of view of an OFW single mother, and obviously a woman who came from poverty and did a lot of things to improve myself in education, in career, to um, help myself, obviously, and my family to have a better life. And I want to share what I did with other people in similar circumstances. So I discuss. Uh, personal finance, investing both in the Philippines and overseas, and some strategies on how to get yourself out of poverty because it's really hard. So that's basically me in a nutshell. Yes, it's uh, really uh, admirable actually. And especially it's maybe it's one of the first finance blog that is targeted for women in particular, right? Yes, yes. I write a lot of things about women specifically because um, I think it's needed. A lot of the 
uh, a lot of the blogs out there online and even discussions in forums in YouTube are from the point of view of men. And it's not really surprising because the content creators, most of them are men. So I think it's just the right time for women to be represented and then women for us to be able to voice out our particular concern and have things from our point of view. Because we do have different needs and different perspectives and different priorities than men. Yes, it's a a good shedding of light in a different gender perspective, (laughs) I should say. Yeah. So I really admire your blog's mission. It's you said in your blog it's uh, to fill the gap on financial literacy among Filipinos. How did you arrive on that? I mean, what made you focus on it particularly? Um actually it's very surprising because when I was still working here in the Philippines in the corporate sector, I was working in uh, first um call center and then BPO and then the BPO accounts that I was handling were actually mostly financial accounts. And then there was a time I worked as a market uh, stock market data analyst and then in investment banking. So you would think that people there know how to handle money and investments. But you would be surprised that these people who are handling money and discussing money investments every day for work, they don't know how to do so themselves for themselves. So I thought it's, it's just very surprising why, why, why that is. And I thought that it would be great for me to write from the perspective of somebody who has some, you know, not really starting out per se, because these people, they do know what these terms are. It's not really very basic or not very beginners, beginners level. But I want to bridge that gap between the beginners and not really experts and then how to apply these concepts and the practices on on the perspective of a professional worker that's not really starting from from scratch. Yes, because I think also you have a really good point on that most Filipinos are net zero, as you have mentioned in your um, blog. And it's really kind of hard to give an ad- financial advice because their situation is really uh, not ideal for those kind of advice like you know, the usual advice is like you need to save, you need to have an emergency fund like that. But as you've said, if you don't focus on increasing your income, you really won't achieve all of those. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because, well, I think there are actually a lot of factors for that. But um, what I have noticed is that um, a lot of people are like, you know, some of them, on, on the one hand, some of them are starting from zero or from the negative. So even before they even start working, they already have a lot of debts, a lot of responsibilities, and a lot of things that they want to achieve, not only for themselves, but also for their family, commitments to their parents. Once they graduate from college, they will just tell their parents, I'm going to send so-and-so, my younger siblings, to college so that you don't have to struggle as much anymore or some other. Stuff. That's also very prevalent for OFWs, especially um, because you know if you're an OFW, uh, everyone basically assumes that you're going to <laughs> you're, you're going to be spending for everyone, right? I, I'm pretty sure that you have that experience yourself. So yes, even yes. if you haven't even uh, left the country yet, 
a lot of people are going to um, approach you and then ask you for favors. You haven't even... <laughs> yeah, you, you already have a liability. Yes, yes. that's right. Yes. So you already have a lot of debts to these people, even... You haven't even... Yeah, yes. So in many instances, uh, you're the, their only lifeline. And um, unfortunately, that's very common in the Philippines. Um, even for those who are working professionally, um, many of us, like me personally, um, when I graduated from college, I'm probably one of the first three people in my entire extended family to graduate from college, from university. And that naturally put in a lot of pressure on me to help my parents send my siblings to college. And also, you know, um, help them on their daily expenses. So basically, I became the family breadwinner and then as, at such a young age. So there's a lot of people similarly situated from me, those who started not from zero, but from negative. Yeah. So because that's one of the blind spots that I've noticed, in especially in many foreign uh, or American, that's because that's the media that we consume, right? In many American blogs. They always start from the assumption that you are starting from negative or no, from zero. You're just starting out. You're, you have zero um, net worth and you're only responsible for yourself. But for us in the Philippines, or maybe if you're not from the Philippines in the de- developing countries, right? We already have a lot of, uh, a lot of liabilities, a lot of responsibilities mm-hmm. that when we graduate from college, it's not, you're not starting from zero. You're starting from negative. You already owe somebody even before starting that, starting earning that percent. Yeah. So that's one perspective that I'm coming from. Yeah. I, I think it's also like a sad, um, norm among Filipinos to put the eldest in the family to carry on the burden of the insufficiency of parents to provide uh, finances. So I, I think it's, that's why it's really burdening the, the system. And, and also, can you see a trend that is it's getting you know, among us millennial, uh, the millennials? Do you see a trend that it is going down? Like people, have you seen younger people doing still that or... Yeah, yeah, I think for our gen, our generation. So I will just assume that we're in the same generation, right? Yes. Yeah, we're, just, we're both young people, you know that. <laughs> so I was just um, noticing that among the young people, especially those who are around 30s and below, there is a conscious effort to not uh, repeat what their parents are doing to them. So we can see that there's a lot of memes, a lot of or reddits, uh, subreddits that cater to these people who wanted to, you know, just um, make sure that their children are not going to be similarly burdened in the future. And that also, there are also other people who are just going to like get something off their chest about being the eldest child in the family who have all these burdens. But in general, yes, I think people are being more responsible than the previous generation because it's not it's not the same economy it's not the same structure that we have right yes. before my mother um my grandmother had 12 children because it, the assumption is that these children are going to help in the farm or uh, for because they were fishermen so they're going to help you know um or, or during their old age but it's now a different time 
it's it's no longer the old economy and we have to adjust and i think people in our generation are adjusting there are they are having less children mm. more conscious about investments and more conscious about mm-hmm. saving up for their retirement so that they will not be a burden to their children in the future as well yeah i i think that's a really uh, a trend that i also want to continue uh, increasing a lot in the future and of course and i i also think that your blog has been helping a lot oh, on thank that you. so thank I, you. i'm so I'm happy thank you again for <laughs> doing that doing that conscious effort to make a blog and everything because it's it's not an easy uh, task you know to put your ideas out there and to become you know more honest and in showing ev- almost everything that's right yeah so now i'm also curious um can you tell us about a time in your journey as a corporate woman in the Philippines and abroad? Yeah, so my my journey. Well, um, right now I can't really disclose what I what I do, but um, it's very far from what I started with. So I started as um, a call center agent. You know, I just graduated. I graduated from college, and then as you know, there are not a lot of jobs for people at that time. So one of the highest paying sectors is, of course, the call center and the BPO industry. And me, because I'm, I, I want to support my family. Uh, I joined the call center, uh, call center sector for, and I think I worked there for around five years. So just uh, leveling up and then learning. I don't, I don't know if it's very obvious, but I didn't really uh, have. Or I didn't really speak English that well before. I wasn't really that confident. And then I got that from just working in the call center. I don't know if that's... But I think it's true. I think it's true. That um, you can level yourself up uh, professionally and personally in whatever sector that you are currently right now. So even if you're in one sector and then that... And then you think that there's no way for you to, you know, climb or uh, improve yourself there are actually a lot of ways for you to be able to uh, develop your skills that can be transferred into other sectors as well so when i joined the call center i uh, call center industry i was actually in um, uh, financial accounts so i noticed that financial accounts in call centers paid higher than regular accounts so that's where i focused then eventually i was able to transfer to other uh, other companies until I was able to transition into the uh, back end services and was was uh, able to transition into investment bank, which is a very highly paid sector. Yeah, so it that's a really um, admirable actually to to kind of transition uh, from one sector and to another. Of course, if it's high paying, it's also highly competitive. So, of course, being a woman there there there's always uh, more challenges than being a man in that kind of industry can you uh, tell us how did you manage those challenges yeah i think in the philippines we are more egalitarian than other countries in the in the sense that we don't really experience very high salary grade uh, you know uh, differences between men and women because you can always verify <laughs> with with your male friends, right? But the challenge for women is that 
Well, first of all, if you're a single mother, like I was, then you have that added responsibility, added layer of challenge that will be uh, contributing to you not being able to be more competitive in the workplace. For example, if you're a new mother and then you just gave birth, it's very hard to focus at work if you know that your baby is looking for you. Men are different because, of course, you know, parents love their children, but there is always a motherly bond with mother and child. And then another problem or another uh, concern is if you're working, if you're a working mom, um, you always have to find the responsibility of finding alternative, uh, alternative child care is on you. If you want to work, your partner or your spouse will say that, okay, you can go to work, but how about the baby? It's like the, the responsibility of finding alternative child care is on you. Yes, you can go to work. As long as somebody takes care of the baby, it's you who's going to find it. It's, um, that has always been my experience and the experience of the other uh, co- female co-workers that I had. And yeah, so th- that's two of the major challenges that I can think right off the top of my head. Yeah. It's always the challenge of, you know, juggling <laughs> juggling between motherhood and uh, work. So I, I also think that women had that really uh, hard uh, compared to us men. So I, I admire that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and then if, especially if you become successful, even with that kind of hardship. Yeah, I, it, it, cru- crucial for that is, of course, the support of your family, I think. Um, it's a double, you know, a double-edged sword. Uh, if you have um, the support of your family, and your family is poor as well, of course they will, uh, they will assume that you're going to help them financially as well. So it's a double-edged sword. You have free, quote unquote, free childcare because you know your parents are not really doing anything; <laughs> they're just at home tending the house, and then you can leave the children there or your child there. But on the other hand, you also are expected to contribute to, you know, more money for the household. So it's it's really very uh, challenging for women, uh, especially single mothers. And especially if you're a kind of a woman that is highly competitive, also exactly, at the same time. Exactly. So it's a it's a constant yes. balance. Yeah, and, and if I may just um, <laughs> share, because um, one of the biggest things that also. Uh, improved my life and my career is that I um, I have a graduate degree. So I got pregnant and became a mother uh, like relatively early. After a year or so of graduating from college, I became a mother. And then, of course, um, I realized that if I'm not if I'm going to have a higher paying job, I need to have a graduate degree. And then my family is really crucial in my success in that front. So I was working full-time. I was also attending graduate school in the evenings and weekends. And then I'm also a mother. So that's a very, very hard thing to juggle. I did that for a few years until, you know, it was a super big sacrifice. On the other hand, uh, gra- that graduate degree really helped me like level up my life and elevate my career in a different direction. So right now, I'm happy to say that although I, 
I still love and still believe in the BPO industry. I still have a lot of friends there. And um, I have family working in the BPO industry. But I have already left like in the past oh, eight years. I'm no longer there. But it's a huge, it made a huge difference in my life working in the BPO industry and having graduated. I I love your blog post about women empowerment and I shared it among my women peers in my ship and of course they love it. Oh thank you. <laughs> Recently data from Marina our governing body for seafarers in the Philippines shows that there is an increasing trend of women working in our industry which is currently dominated by men. I mean, seafarers was always in the TV, television, series, show. It's always men. But in, in our age now, recently, it's uh, getting increasing more uh, exposure for women. And Marina recorded 73,027 women seafarers alone on December 2018. That is 10% of approximately 1 million seafarers that has uh, registered for a seaman's book. Uh, a seaman's book is the same as <laughs> a passport for uh, a normal citizen. So it's a passport for seafarers. So uh, it's a nice and improving trend uh, in our industry. And that's why I, I, I ask you to be in our show because uh, I, I would love your thoughts on sharing your um, uh, challenges, sharing your insights of being a a woman in a highly competitive industry because seafar is seafaring is also uh, a highly competitive industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what you shared with me right now is is very commendable that the seafaring industry, your industry, is accepting a lot of women in the workplace. You said it has been dominated by men for. Well, seafaring has been there for like thousands of years, <laughs> but you know, a man has always been the forefront there. Uh, but right now, 10% of Filipino seafarers are women. So that can only be a good thing, not only for women, obviously, because they have more options now in terms of career. And also seafaring is a very interesting career. Uh, but also good for the industry as a whole, because I, I believe that women as a class, uh, they just they bring their insight into the workplace they have, you know, they have a different approach to work that can uh, that can just improve the industry. And I'm I'm very actually excited for you because um, in my industry as well, it has been traditionally uh, dominated by men. Well, actually, r- rich men. <laughs> my industry has always been dominated by rich men, and now. Due to the advances in women's rights and um, women empowerment in the past half century, uh, almost fifty percent of 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 people or officials in my in my workplace are women, and it's I, I and I have been hearing from very senior people in my work that it it has actually improved. Uh, our sector. So I, I think it would also have the same impact on seafaring. And of course, um, in the work front, and of course, for women, uh, in the practical sense, uh, it's, it's very, and I know when I was, when I was little in, 
in Negros, I know that a lot of men wanted to be seafarers because they said it's where the big money is. So I'm not sure if that's still true. I'm pretty sure it's still true. Um, I'm just happy that a lot of women now are having that opportunity as well. So there, yeah, very happy, very happy with that uh, development. Yes, uh, and also it's uh, I also am seeing that development because uh, in my first ship, like six, uh, seven years ago, uh, it's only one woman in my ship. And then as the years uh, go by and I've been to several uh, ships, it's becoming increasing. I mean, not only in the galley department where the food is being cooked, but it's also on the bridge and on the engine department. There's an increasing number of uh, women engineers. So it's really commendable because, you know, in engineer, a marine engineer on a ship is not... It's not for the the uh, easy handeds or <laughs> it's it's hard work. So the the thought that they can you know go with the how a man a man works, it's really commendable. And I see I see it firsthand. It's like mm. some of those uh, women are I'm sure is much more stronger than me. <laughs> <laughs> and also so I think uh, yeah yeah I think for seafaring where. Since it's very dominated by men, uh, the presence of women can only improve. You know, can only improve things. They're going to have you know a more gentler approach because we know men. Uh, it's not a stereotype, but because we know we, we know it, right? That men want to be caring. They want to you know more uh, gentle when there are women. Not necessarily because you know they are interested romantically, but just that's just how things work. And the presence of women in the workplace, especially in such a male-dominated place, and such you know, it's um, it's an action-oriented place, right? Very testosterone-fueled workplace, and then you have the presence of these women. It can only you know, can only improve things. Yeah, and it's, it's it really does. You know, it's uh, it's the as you've said, it's the women all all um provide a different perspective on tackling problems. And and also what you said that uh, you know uh, Filipino men just want to be gentle with other women, uh, especially on working, and and it that uh, kind of practice has been improving ever since because uh, most of my peers that are my age we treat uh, women that are in our workplace as our kind of equal footing. I mean, of course, it's uh, not like equal equal but you you see the that we treat our uh approach and working as the same as them like if they can uh, manage to carry that those things uh, we will let them carry so that uh, we all contribute to working so it's a it's a really nice um synergy in the ship now having women on board i can only imagine yes so in relation to our you know topic on um, corporate women and such what kind of tips on managing finances uh, because you've been you said you work in investing investment banks before and some of my listeners are mostly women from my field yeah i think it's very crucial for women and also of course to men that when you work when you earn money you prioritize yourself I know that it's in our nature for women, especially 
and especially those who are the firstborn, the panganays, to help their family and then, like give everything, give their all to their family, right? So it's a very natural thing for especially for those who were who grew up seeing their parents struggle. When you see your parents struggle, many of us will think when I when I have a job or when I go abroad, you're no longer going to struggle anymore. You're no longer going to um, work this hard. I'm going to give you everything that you want, right? I'm pretty sure a lot of women and also men uh, had the same thought. But um, we have to sort of rein that in, that instinct in, and prioritize ourselves. Because first of all, you can only help somebody if you're already strong. So if you want to help others, your family financially, you should also be strong financially. And you do that by prioritizing yourself. Make sure that you have all your basics covered. You have your emergency fund at least three to six months as um, many uh, financial financial blogs or financial gurus uh, promote at least the three to six months of uh, emergency funds. Make sure that you have your insurance at the very least, like uh, you know, um, uh, just get a uh, life insurance, health insurance, just in case you get sick. These uh, basic things that are well, to be honest, are pretty boring <laughs> when it comes to investing. These are what's these are what's going to save you. From being poor and, you know, going back to poverty, these very basic things, emergency fund, life insurance, health insurance. Yeah. So if you have those, it's, it would be relatively easy to do other stuff like investing in stocks or investing in foreign exchange or whatever investing that you want to do. But please make sure that you prioritize yourself first. Things that's going to help you survive in case that you know you lose your job or you experience any hardship so that's the main thing prioritize yourself by covering all the basics and then second thing is to manage your finances is you have to educate yourself learn about the basic basics of investing you can read a lot of Mm, blogs like my blog out there or you can watch youtube read books, attend, attend seminars. Uh, it can only be good for you, right? If you educate yourself, and it will actually help you as well in uh, avoiding scams because, as you know, OFWs are like very, very highly targeted by scammers. So if you're educated, it would be very hard for them to target you because you can see through their bullshit, right? Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. And of course, apart from apart from that, always seek to level up yourself in terms of your career. Uh, you can't be stagnant. And obviously, the money that you will use for your investing has to come from somewhere, right? So I know that a lot of people are sometimes very anti-work or they hate the quote-unquote rat race. But... If you came from, you know, regular, uh, regular working class families, or you know, you came from poverty, you have to work for the money first before you have something for investing, right? So for you to be able to get money for investing, you have to exchange your, you have to exchange your time 
uh, for money, and that is by working. And you only get more money when you work if you, you know, if you have more qualifications, you have more experience. So make sure that you work on those. Yes. So those are my basic, uh, basic advice. So I, I really like what you've said about uh, not being stagnant to, on your career because it really aligns to your blog's mission to, in order to rise up from being negative zero, you need to increase your income. And the only way to increase your income is either, uh, of course, two ways that you need to That's increase right. your income is either to um, increase your being valuable to your company or go with business. But I I think it the more um, you know less risky approach is to not be stagnant in your career, and it really aligns in what your blog's mission. So I I just want to commend that. <laughs> Yes, yes, because I have also noticed that many bloggers hate on the 9 to 5. I mean, yes, I know for many of us, it, it's a grind. It can be boring. Nobody wants to be cooped up in an office like five days a week, uh, nine hours or more a day. But, you know, for people like me who have been in poverty, our family has been in the fields for generations. The office is a level up. <laughs> Working in an air-conditioned office with a phone is actually the level up, okay? So, yeah, uh, you can hate on the, the office job all you want, but for people like me, our my, my, my entire family has been working in the fields as farmers or seafarers or actually fishermen. So, yeah, being in the office is um, already, for us, living the dream. Yeah, so... Let's uh, talk about another of your blog posts, which is entitled Women, Relationships, and Money, which is a lovely read, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> which uh, stereotype you think is the worst and most incorrect about women, <laughs> especially in the Philippines? I think uh, for that, the, the worst stereotype is that women cannot invest. Because not, well... First of all, in the Philippines, investing is seen in, in the family framework, is, is seen as the man's prerogative. Of course, women are given the money to budget for, the, uh, for, you know, for household expenses, for expenses for the children. But when it comes to investing, it's usually the man who puts the money away to more risky investments, such as in stock exchange or mutual funds and other investment uh, or securities. But I think women, of course, obviously women can also be great investors, but they have very different perspectives from men. Study shows that women are more conservative than men when it comes to investing, which is actually not a bad thing per se, right? Because you have to be conservative. Of course, you have to be aggressive in some places, but you also have to be conservative in some places. and also. It has been hypothesized, actually, that the 2008 uh, economic crisis was caused by men being overly aggressive in investments. So I think it's high time for us to, you know, uh, embrace the, the women's perspective and uh, women's intuition when it comes to investing. 
So it's, I think that's very harmful if we disregard the women's point of view when it comes to investing because they know they are the ones who are running the family finances on a daily basis. They know the budget. They know how much is needed in the future, right? They are the ones in charge of the family expenses on a day-to-day basis, how much they need to um, to maintain the household, how much they uh give to the children for allowances. So, of course, they know what the priorities are. So, if you're married, and if you're a man listening to this blog, please uh, always, or at least take care to listen and incorporate your wife's point of view because you might get, you know, you might get uh, frustrated that she doesn't want to risk the money in more, uh, in more risky investments like stock exchange and cryptocurrency for that matter but listen to her point of view because she most probably probably has a point so that's i think the most risky uh the the, the har- har- harmful stereotypes against women yes there there has been actually a, a a study that i've read before that uh in in times of market crash women actually is the the one that is less likely to sell and panic than men, so it's a surprising um, um, they uh, study because the because other uh, there has been head hedge fund managers that are women, and then they conducted a study on market crashes on two thousand eight and uh, the dot com bubble, and you know most most who sell, sold at the worst time are men, <laughs> so it's it's kind of a surprising um, uh, fact because the, as as people know. Women are emotional creatures, and men should be more, you know, <laughs> stoic and such. But they're the ones who always sell first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a that's also a stereotype that uh, you know a lot of people bring out when it comes to investing. That women are very emotional, but you know we're emotional about other things. <laughs> <laughs> because um, I think what happened there is that women in the first place just don't go into these very risky investments, right? When they hear about cryptocurrency, yes, of course there are women there. I myself um, invested in very risky. Uh, cryptocurrencies, but most women don't really go into these because, you know, they want to be more conservative. Many women just invest in mutual funds or bonds and those that they can have more control of. Yes. But definitely about the emotions. Yes, we are emotional creatures, but um, we tend to avoid things that will make us emotional too, like money, you know? <laughs> yeah, I really agree on that. And um before I go to the last um you know question or topic on the show first we, uh, where can the uh, listeners reach out to you if they want to you know contact you see more of your blog Yeah they can go of course to my website first it's katiescarletneedsmoney.com no spaces and there is um there is a contact me section there can write an email from there or you can also like my facebook page uh, just look for katie scarlet needs money in facebook and in twitter i'm me at uh, sorry at me katie scarlet in twitter but uh in twitter i'm you know it's twitter so mostly memes or you know repost but you can still definitely reach out to me there and on my ig instagram it's katie scarlet needs money as well in instagram 
So if you want to reach out to me, most of the time I answer people's questions. <laughs> so I do enjoy hearing back from people, even if we just have a question about the post. Yes, I will make sure to... Yeah, and you yourself, remember, you sent me a message. In yes. <laughs> yes, I will make sure to put the links on the description on the podcast. And, and lastly, uh, this is a question I will be making a practice to start uh, asking guests at the end of the show. So what does a life filled with happiness look like for you? And how does it translate to how you manage your finances? And ultimately, what, you know, last advices that you can share to our listeners so that they can have a happier life? Wow, that's kind of, you know, heavy, heavy stuff. But for me, life of happiness is being content. And of course, being content in what you have, it's very different meanings for some people. For me, for me to be able to be content in something, I have to feel secure. So that includes secure about my finances, being able to sleep at night very comfortably without having to think about where you're going to get money in case some disaster happens. So being able to help my family, not only my immediate family, but my extended family as well in the province. Um, being able to support my child until until college or graduate school or whatever is going to help him succeed and be, you know, be a contributing member of society. And that that translates to me, you know, being careful with my money. Um, since what's going to make me happy, that, that version of happiness, if you think about it, it takes a lot of money for you to be content in something, right? So what for me to be to feel secure, it takes a lot of money. And for me to be able to help my family, extended family and my child, that certainly is a lot of money. So for me, that translates to me being wise about money, to consider my investments carefully, um, how I, how and when I take risks. So those are the considerations that will help me achieve happiness in my life yeah right now yeah when you say you have to be content sometimes people think that you know it's very easy or just be content with what you have now but <laughs> you know for me being content is a journey that i have to uh I, I will arrive there probably in 10 to 15 years of some struggle you know but it's it's not as hard as uh <laughs> i had before when I, when i was in my 20s Thank you for really uh, gracing my show, um, Katie. Uh, it has been a really good um, conversation about a lot of things. I, I mean, I learned a lot also about <laughs> how to really survive in a competitive industry and I've learned a, a lot of nuggets of wisdom also. Oh, and I hope the listeners also. So, yes, uh, I'm really grateful for having you here in the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's been an honor. 